This is Coda Radio, episode 503 for January 30th, 2023. Hello, friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show. Taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us from his podcast compound in the state of Florida, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Something, something gators. Yeah, right. Standard Florida response. I'm just jealous. I'm really quite jealous. You know, it's... Uh, uh, of what? Well, it's 25 degrees Fahrenheit outside right now. So, a little jealous of you, because <laughs> it's not that cold down there, I imagine. I don't know. No, it's like 70-something. Yeah. Yeah, I hate you. I just hate you a little bit for that. I just hate you a little bit. Yeah, 13 years is a long time. I got a lot of things I'm looking forward to, though. Keep me warm, you know? Right now, I'm huddled by the fire of the news that System76 is working on an immutable base to Pop OS. So sort of uh, akin to Silver Blue, perhaps Nix OS, perhaps um, Ubuntu Core, perhaps akin to kind of the way Mac OS has re-architected itself over the last three releases where right. a large percentage of the file system is unchangeable by the user and it's updated in image snapshots. I don't know, man. Like, you know how much I've been nerding out on NixOS recently. But this feels like it could be bringing immutability to everyday Linux users, which I think would dramatically improve the long-term stability of the Linux desktop. Because one of the areas these immutables are better at is ripping software out of the box. A lot of times I find Linux users don't actually ever remove software. They install it. And then they just leave it because sometimes when you uninstall stuff, it breaks dependencies. And so people just leave it and then they're perpetually updating thousands of packages. <laughs> um, and right. that's the best case scenario. Yeah, you get, a, you get a bunch of cruft or you do do that apt purge, apt remove, for example. And uh, yeah, that's, that's always fun. You think, they, you think uh, System76 is biting off more than they can chew here? Do you think they, they're the team to take this on? This is an obvious step for them given they're trying to target... Uh, you know, everyday developers and IT pros. Uh, if in a way they could claim stability to the IT purchasing manager, right? Because that is, in fact, what this does. And yeah, this is a good move. Yeah, boy, this this once you think of it that way, once you think of immutability and the stability that brings, and the kind of proof that a system is safe and solid that that brings, and when you think of that as a feature to like the Thalio workstation. That is kind of compelling. And I also think this is probably one of the teams out there that can pull this off because I've visited their their offices and, and their warehouse a few times. And I remember when I was there, I think it was 2021, they were asking me what I liked about Silverblue. And they were asking me about NixOS. And they were talking about immutability even back then and thinking about how they could apply it here. And of course, I went through their repo. It's so early days right now. There's like, the, the repo is like a week old at this point. So, I mean, this is super early in the process. But at this point, 82.3% of the project is written in Rust. Just pointing that out. Just pointing that out. It's automatically better. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really compelling. I mean, if you could get the Linux desktop even just to the next notch of hassle-free stability where when something goes wrong, you're one reboot away to a snapshot and you're right back up and working, uh, I think that would really up the game for developers that want to use it as a station, as a workstation. I've really been liking that with Nix. But let's get into some feedback this week because now that I got my email working, guess what? We got emails to read. And David thinks we're getting scammed by the open AI folks. 
He writes, I saw an interesting article about how ChatGPT miserably failed to pass a relatively simple test of 50 trivia questions about the Supreme Court. About half of ChatGPT's answers were right, and about half were wrong, and some hilariously so. At the time, the media is buzzing that ChatGPT has passed not only the bar exam, but also the MBA and the U.S. medical licensing exam. The bar exam is so much more difficult than this SCOTUS blog test. The former consists of real-life legal questions that you need a lawyer to answer. While this test was mostly trivia about the Supreme Court, such as who was the longest-serving Supreme Court justice and how long do Supreme Court justices serve? So how do we explain this discrepancy? My guess is that OpenAI has invested significant effort into machine learning models trained specifically for the bar exam and has been planning out this publicity for some time. The impression we get from all the press is that, well, ChatGPT is so smart, it's developed such an advanced reasoning that it can obviate the highest paid professionals in the developed world. It can do no such thing. The reality is ChatGPT's legal aptitude is so narrow that passing the bar exam is the only thing it can do, and the aptitude cannot extend to even answering basic trivia questions. Yet, people are being misled to believe that ChatGPT could also possibly practice law. I'm guessing the same narrow band ChatGPT aptitude applies to the MBA and medical exams as well. I think we need to give more credit to OpenAI's marketing team. Love the show. Keep up the good work. David. I think he nailed it there. I mean, I have no doubt that they gave it purpose training for like... Of course, though, right? You're not going to have one general AI. You're going to have... I mean, if you've ever dealt with large property management or leasing companies, you're basically talking to really <laughs> bots. Some of them happen to pump blood and breathe oxygen, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's... I, I'm going to tell you right now, if my landlord invitation homes, wonderful, I guess, people... If they could replace their entire maintenance team or like a good portion of it with just a bot in their little mobile app that automatically negotiates the because they don't really do anything themselves. They subcontract everything with, you know, negotiates the jobs with their subcontractors. They would do that tomorrow and they would be looking for a narrowly trained AI that does that. For instance, let's just think about this, right? You own a bunch of houses. What are the common problems you're going to have? Let's think. Um, flooded toilet right? Clog sink. Maybe water leak. HVAC goes out, right? Water leak. Let's just say that bucket is all you care about right now uh, for, for to automate. You could totally write a reasonable machine learning model that handles that within specific parameters that the, the end user sets up. Uh, the end user, of course, being the landlord, not the tenant. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that they would save a crap ton of money and be incredibly happy. And the responses in app, right, the written responses that the bot would give would, I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, they basically tell you nothing. So anything would be better. <laughs> yeah, man, I really can see this, Mike. This is happening. You know, people are working on this right now. And then you're going to have integrators who add value. They're going to come in and their value is going to be, uh, well, what we could, what we specialize in is we'll ingest your entire knowledge base that you've already created for your support personnel and we'll create models to train your own specialized chatbot that you can embed in your website with our little widget. And they'll provide the stack for that. And they'll provide the importing of the existing knowledge base in whatever wackadoo format using whatever wackadoo CMS that they use to create it. They'll massage the data into something that can inform this thing. And then they'll fire half their support staff and put this dumb embed on their website. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. And also think about it. 
it, the use case I just laid out is like I give it to to the writer about ChatGPT's marketing team uh, or OpenAI's marketing team, I should say, because yeah, they're doing these little like you know, let me trick the normie reporters into writing top stories. I mean, they're getting all those Microsoft billions. Got to do something with it. Well, no, the thing they're going to do with it is not like sexy. I'm your robot lawyer. You know, you will be assimilated. It's hey, man, we can make this very rich company, you know, 10% richer by eliminating half their support staff, a la, you know, tenant repair requests. I'll give you another excellent example. My son's doctor, great lady, horrible time scheduling her appointments because she has two offices that she bounces between, which means she has two very sweet, very pen and paper based assistants that sometimes don't communicate very well. If there was just one software, very narrow, I'm a pediatrician scheduling AI that knows what things sound like emergencies that need to be pitched up to the doctor or to the nurse practitioner and which things are, you know, my, you know, Mike's son needs his uh, yearly checkup, right, for school. Those scheduling snafus, other than the cases of like the doctor herself being unavailable for, you know, personal reasons or illness, would be eliminated overnight. A hundred percent. And if you combine it with voice synthesis, which there's lots of things working on that as well. I mean, I've had audience members synthesize my voice just from the podcast recordings. So it's definitely possible, right, to then combine those two technologies together where you could call it in, you could do it for the website, you could even have it read email and respond to email. I mean, it's very all doable. And the nightmare scenario is then, of course, that us humans, us bags of mostly water are forced now to convince the robot that our problem is urgent enough to actually flag the doctor and not just go into some queue or some system right now, we're going to have to come up with ways to manipulate these bots to get the results we want. Not that we should, but that's exactly what's going to happen. It's dystopia. There, there's even like less serious cases, right? Like um, my credit card holder, Capital One, has a little thing in the app that is effectively a very basic chat bot. But if I lose my card, it can, without me talking to me, turn off the card, show me the last three charges, and I can dispute if, you know, if one or all of them are uh, you know, not made by me, right? Fraudulent. Again, sounds silly, but at scale, if you're Capital One and you have how many, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of clients, you just saved a ton of money by not having somebody having to answer that phone call. The economic incentives are going to be impossible to ignore because eventually a chat GPT style support bot could know more than any one human. You take my RV, for example, it's made by Thor. Thor owns almost all the RV brands from Airstream, except for the Winnebago's. Thor pretty much owns every RV brand you've ever seen. And then, so take my particular model, a Thor Challenger. There are five different iterations of just the year of my Challenger, not to mention the hundreds of other RVs, all of which have models that then have four or five different versions with different components and different parts, depending on price tier. It is infinitely complex. I've owned this thing for like seven years. I've never met anyone who knows my particular RV top to bottom. It's impossible because they're almost all unique little snowflakes. But ChatGPT could. It could learn all of the schematics, all of the details. I could go to Thor's website and I could ask it specifically for the wiring diagram for my RV. That process right now, I email Thor. They get back to me in about 24 hours after a human's gone through the records and found it, which by the way, is considered like super fast, top tier, really good by the industry. Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, ChatGPT could give it to me instantly and they'd never need to spend a human hour doing it. Well, I think we should move on from this. But kind of the broader point is 
don't think of chat GPT or even this idea of like a general AI coming anytime soon. It's, you know, companies building you specific AIs fed with data for your specific use case. That sounds really, really boring, but some lady named Carol is going to lose her job making 52,000 or whatever she made a year. And there are about a hundred thousand Carol's at least. So. This is it. This is the thing. <laughs> yeah. They're all going to be dumb except for in one very specific vertical. Well, they'll be where they're going to be topic experts. But like, like I also pointed out, like when I use chat GPT sometimes for looking into the background of stories, I have to chat, fact check all of it because if it gives me four or five details about a story, two of them might be wrong sometimes. But let's move on. There'll be years of talking about that. And uh, I think we can, we don't have to uh, worry about it for a bit. Nancy in the U.S. wrote in. In fact, Nancy wanted to get this on the air so much so that uh, they also sent in a 50,000 sat boost to make sure I knew they had an email. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Damn. <laughs> yeah. And it was a good one. Uh, he says, uh, they say, hi, Mike and Chris. Uh, I'm listening to 502 and hoping there is not a bad gateway here. Get it? Oh, so here we go. Number one, we need to fully expect that this downturn, the remote work is going to get crushed in. And I agree. I think uh, remote work is going to be hit hard. Tis the point. Yep. Uh, the company I work for is planning on requiring people to work in the office because they firmly believe the productivity has been lost as a result of remote work. However, they know there's going to be a backlash. So they're trying to ease into it and they're trying to improve the facilities first. I think this will probably hit non-tech remote workers more than tech workers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All makes sense. That's happening. And uh, it's it, yeah, it's absolutely happening worse outside of tech. Number two, I'm agnostic about the macro. Number two, I'm agnostic about the macroeconomic forecasting and economic casualty discussion. So that said, I think there's been a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation going on while calling for a recession. It's a bit of an excuse by the businesses to cull the herd a bit. Uh, with the larger companies, particularly in order to show growth, as you guys were suggesting. In my field, the infotech people get laid off, but they've been finding jobs pretty quickly. Any kind of recession that will be sector-based, and I don't think will be entirely the whole economy, it's just going to be certain areas in housing. And number three, I think there will be a lot of funny business going on with the banks and financers. Yes. Yeah, there already is some of that stuff. Oh, there always, always is. That's like two steps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think anything in the crypto world, including Bitcoin, is going to be subject to some of this funny business. I have a hard time accepting that cryptocurrency can have a scarcity when the code can just be forked. And then you can have two different types of coins. Digital currencies are just democratized fiat subject to the same problems of stocks. Thank you both for the shows. I agree. Uh, the last point on why, why you're not going to see uh, the 21 million hard cap of Bitcoin changed is, uh, first of all, the hard cap isn't actually built into Bitcoin. There's not like a line of code that says 21 million hard cap. Uh, it is the ultimate result of the issuance schedule of the blockchain. And that is sort of, if you change that, which you could potentially change like the difficulty or something, although that's automatically done. When you make a code change like that, it's called a fork. It's called a hard fork in Bitcoin's term. And every single node operator and every single miner has to accept that hard fork. This has happened 10,000 times to Bitcoin, and it's never been successful. And if you'd like a really great example and a fantastic book that explains this, and really in, a, in great, easy-to-understand terms, check out The Block Size Wars, because this exact thing was tried, and um, there, was none, there was no having of it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> there was no having of it. And the way that works is, you know, there's 
25,000, 30,000, I don't know, 15,000, whatever it is, decentralized node operators. I have one here in the studio. Then you have miners and then you have the core developers. They're all three separate groups and all three separate groups would have to accept the code change all the way throughout. Plus you'd have the whole community discussion. Those types of changes for 13 years have never been successful. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. But the other ones that have central groups, like your Ethereum's and your dog coins, anybody that has a, a group of developers that are all kind of maybe working for a company. Yeah, absolutely. They could just do it, right? Or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, on the item three, right, the crypto stuff, I don't know a ton about it. I, I will say, though, that bankers, you know, traders are going to trade, right? It's kind of their thing. So I just assume there's always shenanigans, just like you don't need to. It's always <laughs> sure. happening. Like yes. I, For instance, uh, the car loan market, if you're really looking to be a bear, it's uh, woo, some people have been spending some money that maybe they don't have at some real high interest rates and cars depreciate Ooh, yeah. real fast. Yeah, uh, that that's not my area. Uh, the uh, so number two, item two in Nancy's thing here, you know, yeah, right. So it depends if it's just a tech recession, it's not going to be real because wages are probably inflated a little bit, right? And the answer is people at hot tech companies need to get either start startups or go to boring tech companies and make less money. Sad. Sucks for them. I'm sorry. The question is, does it become systemic, right? Does it bleed into the local economies? So far, no, right? It hasn't happened yeah, we're seeing housing, but um, again, that's... inflated though, right? Like that was. Yeah. It, yep. I mean, it, I'm a little biased because Florida is always, for some reason, the first to dip deep into the housing cocaine. But there's something about Florida. We just love to inflate our house prices and then crash. It's that 70 degree weather. I'm sitting up here in 20 degree weather, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's what it is. We're, we're you know, we're all just hot. We're, we've, been, we've been drinking mimosas all day. We're just, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, I could pay a premium for that nice weather right now. <laughs> it's the bank. It's two o'clock. We're like, oh, we got to sign early. I'll just sign, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, we do have a Fed meeting coming up. Well, I was going to say, what do you think? If we have time at the end of the show, we do our prediction because I have a couple of predictions too. And I feel like we'll save it. You know, we get, you know, we'll save it after we get to everything else. All right, then we'll jump on. Yeah, all right. So, but thank you. If you want to send us an email, coder.show slash contact for ways to get in touch over there. Or of course you can send a boost in with a new podcast app. And the other line of feedback we got this week, because it was my bad. Last week I got, so wrapped up in our conversation, I completely forgot to do the robe update. And everybody wrote me, well, not everybody, but a lot of people wrote me and said, uh, where's the robe? Wasn't that supposed to happen? They're pretty wrapped up in the robe. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm just such a spaz sometimes. So uh, we got a boost from like Parish Potato. We got emails. I got telegrams. I got tweets. I got. It's all good, though. Uh, so I have really good news. The orders are not live yet. But since I missed it, I'd, here's what we decided to do. None of this pre-order bullcrap. If we can help it, they're just going to ship when you order them. So like last time we had weeks after you, you know, you pre-ordered and then it took forever. They're being manufactured right now. We just went ahead and pre-bought a bunch of them. And the pricing you're going to see now on the website will reflect shipping. We may end up discovering that we're getting screwed and have to make some adjustments. But last year you saw a price and then you go, depending on where you're at, you know, it could be almost another $15 in shipping, depending on how we were shipping it this year. We're working with a company that does fulfillment in different parts of the world. So it should go much, much smoother because A, they're already being manufactured as I speak. And Beeskies, they're going to be pre-staged at these fulfillment centers. So when they go live, uh, which I expect to be Friday, February 10th, 
You can order them at thecoder.win. Unfortunately, my old URL expired. It's also, you know, if you know where the Jupiter Garage is, that's I am so far, that's where I'm planning to post it. So you'll be able to find it over there. But thecoder.win to get our special luxury coder robe. The one, the only, if you go to Google and you search for the coder robe right now, do you know what shows up over there? That's right. The Jupiter Broadcasting Coder Robe, and it's beautiful. Made from 100% cotton, terry velour, soft, cozy. It's an everyday, all-day wear. Getting out of the shower or just doing work in your robe, it's the coder. And it, uh, it's being manufactured right now. And um, international should be fine. We'll see. We may have to make adjustments, but we're just going for it. And I will have an update for the members on the DL on how they can get a little bit of a discount. Prices have gone up on everything, and we're not raising the price. But uh, so I don't know if we'll, I'll have to figure out the member discount, but we'll get you something, even if it's just at cost. Pretty excited. I'd love to say it's available right now, but I went ahead and opted to just go for it and get it staged. And that way we don't have to deal with, hopefully, long, long pre orders. I would assume it'd be like, you know, a week, right? Two weeks at the most after you order it, but we'll see. This is only my second go around of a custom item like this, but I, I basically incorporated everything I figured out last time. Everything that hurt real bad, it was like a deep wound. I avoided this time so far, hopefully. We'll see. I'm really looking forward to it, though. So I'll definitely have an update next episode or just on the 10th. Go to thecoder.win. And at least at some point <laughs> during the day, <laughs> it should be up there. Linode.com slash coder. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's it's a fantastic way to support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting built for developers. You got to try it for your next project. It's what we have used for everything we've deployed in like the last three years. I got a buddy that's used it for a decade. It's everything, everything he runs for his customers. It's on there. It's been a rock for us. It's been a rock for him. And Linode is adding a dozen new data centers this year on top of the 11 they already have all around the world with 40 gigabit connections coming in massively fast systems. I think Linode's got to be the most aggressive about hardware upgrades from any cloud provider I've ever used. And I love the way they kind of tier it. They have so many different price points that makes it accessible to somebody that just wants a simple personal site to somebody who wants a massive backend infrastructure. Like we have one rig. It's got 48 CPU cores in this thing, 96 gigs of RAM, NVMe hard drives. It just absolutely screams. I bet you know what system that is. <laughs> there's, there's one application we run for our, our listeners that, uh, wow, is it uh, demanding in performance? And we've got thousands and thousands of you on there. And it just was simple to scale up as we needed. It started literally as something we were just trying for the week. So we put it on a really kind of just middle of the road performance system because it was just for a couple of us. And it did great, you know, when it was just five or six of us, it was no problem. And then we added a couple hundred people. So we upgraded it. And then we added a couple thousand people. So we upgraded it. And then we added a couple thousand more and we upgraded again. <laughs> and then we had to redo the software architecture to take advantage of just the massive amount of performance there. Because, you know, Linode's been doing this for nearly 19 years. So if that's the direction you need to go, they know how to build a system that can do that for you. And, you know, they got these one-click deployments in their what they call marketplace. And one that I thought I'd point out to you guys is Apache Airflow. You can programmatically author, schedule, and monitor workflows within a Python-based tool. Airflow provides full insights into the status and logs of your tasks in a nice, modern web application. So it's Apache Airflow, and now they got a one-click deployment to get it up and going on Linode. Great way to use that 100 bucks, isn't it? 
Go support the show, get a hundred bucks and try something out. Just go to linode.com slash coder. One more time to support the show. It's linode.com slash coder. You smell that? Kind of smells like fruitcake. Like fruitcake? Yeah, yeah, like a Christmas fruitcake, like a nice holiday gift for the Ruby nerds out there. Oh, yes, yes. I did not know where you were going with that. (laughs) Ruby 3.2 is coming to town with, I'm going to go through this real fast because I know not too many Ruby supporters here. WebAssembly support. That's right. Be gone, ye vile JavaScript. Be gone. I actually feel like they're very hyped about this. I watched a few YouTube videos to get myself in the headspace and... This is a serious bit of integration they've done here. This isn't just like something they're bolting on. They're really serious about WebAssembly well, Remember, the Ruby folks hated JavaScript so much they made CoffeeScript. Just, you know, <laughs> so they really did. It's a thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? Write your thing in Ruby, compile it to WebAssembly, bums your uncle. There you go. Okay, the new just-in-time, the new JIT is ready for production. It's been around. It's been pretty okay. It's been a little weird in the beginning, but now it's ready. All you need to know about that, faster. Yeah, it was out last year, but it was just an experimental feature last year. And now it's like official. Right. Well, now it's official. It's production ready. You should not notice any difference in your code's behavior with it. So that's what they mean by production ready. Where before it was like, you know, Godspeed, good luck. (laughs) New data class. It's uh, exactly what it sounds like. Uh, we've already had that. Now it gets immutable objects. Again, the Ruby guys, because Python's been getting faster, this is my opinion, maybe not exactly what they were thinking, but another performance-focused change here. This one I'm a little less excited about, only because I maintain a lot of large Ruby code bases that are a little older. Um, it's not impossible, but it's more effort than I'm willing to put in to start using the new data class rather than you know re- regular models. But on something Greenfield, super cool, super great. And this is the one, this last one is my favorite. Better error messages via uh, a package called Syntax suggest being integrated right into Ruby. All right. What this means is when you're inevitably named Mike and missing an end statement somewhere, <laughs> yeah. cannot find it, it will now just tell you which line needs the end statement. You know, that's... Such a nice little quality of life thing. Oh, yeah. Saves a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, KP in the chat room says, I actually like Ruby. It just feels like they've gone the way of other less popular languages and frameworks. I don't know of anyone who's starting a new project like today in Rails. And most companies I know are using primarily that are using Rails, maybe like GitLab, are in the process of swapping to something else. Yeah, it's definitely found its home in uh, like internal enterprise applications where you don't need to worry about the Uber scale stuff. I mean, it is someone who bids these jobs out. We can do something pretty quick, pretty solid in Rails. Uh, and if it's just for your internal employees where you're, you're not going to become the next Twitter, it's often a great choice. Very stable, very mature framework. Yeah, okay. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to try Tailscale for free for up to 20 devices. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out a secure simple mesh network powered by WireGuard that you can get up and running in minutes. This is peak VPN. This is as good as it's ever gotten. (laughs) I've been doing this for 20 years back in the old days when we used to have to buy expensive hardware on each ends of the VPN to have it be considered secure. And they were tedious and arduous to set up. 
TailScale gets up and going in just minutes, regardless of the type of device. They even have TailScale for Docker containers now. So wrap your noodle around this for a second. You can have individual containers and VMs and VPSs and laptops and phones and Raspberry Pis all on one beautiful, flat mesh network protected by Wirecard. It's so great. And the software is really intelligent. So if you want to go out to apple.com or google.com, it's not going to route that through TailScale. That's silly, right? The software is smart enough to know I don't send that traffic there. It only sends the traffic destined for your TailScale network over the VPN. So that means you can leave it running all the time. Once you do that, it opens up the world of possibilities. I now run all of my services and infrastructure for my family and myself behind TailScale. No more inbound ports at all because we all have a persistent connection to our tailnet. It's so great. I have a name server in there, so everything can communicate with DNS. <laughs> it's very powerful. And the fact that I can throw it in a VM, and now all of a sudden my VM is a full-fledged member, means that I can start a project here at work, get it going in a VM, and then I can head home and get access to that machine like it's right there on my LAN. And you can also do all kinds of fancy things if you need, like create OAuth clients and delegate scope access to this TailScale API. So you can actually manage and even refresh or deny access tokens and generate auth keys to your tailnet using some of the tooling in TailScale. And of course, they have a beautiful ACL system so you can access just like one machine from one of your friends. I have that set up between me and Alex. We both share one machine. Uh, I think he might even limit it to the port. I don't know if I went that far, <laughs> but I think he did. You know, Alex, <laughs> it's pretty nice, though. We all use it here, at JB, and we just absolutely love it. Well, most of us, I guess. Can't speak for everybody but I'm working on it. So go try it out, support the show and see why I love it so much. And plus get it for free indefinitely on 20 devices. Well, indefinitely as these things go, it's not a trial. The way they've architected their network is so clever because your machines are connecting directly to each other, sending the traffic from machine to machine. You're not routing it through TailScale's infra so they can afford to give you up to 20 machines for free. And then they got all kinds of plans for enterprises and individuals that are serious about it. Go try it out. You're going to love it. Great way to support the show. Doesn't cost you anything. And I think it's going to upgrade your networking game. Tailscale.com slash coder. All right. So more Rails news, because this is the Ruby show today. Uh, 7.1 gets an official Docker file. Now, this is great if you are a Ruby on Rails developer or especially an aspiring one wanting to use Docker. This sucks if you are me, though, because the top rated, other than the Thaleo reviews on my blog, is my one old-ass blog post where I tell you how to set up a Docker file for Rails. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, man, my, my, I think my most viewed video on YouTube is how to install Linux on a PS3, so I feel you. Nice. Yeah, you feel me. Like, yeah. It's, this is really good. Um, I will say that a company called Fly.io is aggressively – they're the ones who wrote this and are promoting it pretty aggressively, which is how – yeah, um, they are a very Docker-focused host, which we, I just want to say, Chris, remember when we met them, Docker? Oh, yeah, when did you will, baby? It was such a cute little company. Yeah. Yeah. You're just a, in fact, Docker files and stuff like that were just a not even a twinkle in their eye yet. Twinkle in their eye. And that now there's companies built off of their open source technology. <laughs> yeah. So, God, God, uh, oh, God damn it, my blog, blog hits are going away. I can already feel the lack of traffic. You know, I, I think it's kind of funny that even though we got in on that so early, it took me years to really incorporate Docker into my systems just because I had so much experience with VMs. And when it came to web servers, I would just do virtual servers and I just had all these other solutions. 
and I didn't really need containers until I really wrapped my head around how effing great they are yeah. for packaging software up and delivering and moving around. And then, and then to separate the application from the data, that was the mind blowing moment for me. Yeah. It's uh it it really is great. It's it's funny how it's be- went from little weird obscure technology that I remember a stumbling to kind of explain how it works mm-hmm. to it's a de facto default on a lot of hosts. I mean, Linode has a bunch of Docker stuff. Uh, Fly.io is basically built on Docker. Azure will deploy your Docker container even if it's just running another copy of Azure. In fact, they might not charge you if you just Azure Inception. And in the self-hosting community amongst you know enthusiasts online, Everything's packaged up as a Docker container. Everything. All of my home, all my like self-hosted home services all start as a Docker Compose. I've played around with Podman and others, but just the, the network, you know, the community, it just really is there. Yeah. Well, you you can go on Stack Overflow and there, somebody's had the same weird Docker issue that you've had. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll just tell you the answer. So. All right. So uh, the day this episode comes out, there is a Fed meeting. And they will announce a rate hike or not. And I predict a 25 basis point hike. What is your thoughts? Mm, I'd agree with that. I don't think they're going to stop. I mean, I thought we were just going to do stop. go. I, I don't think they can stop. Uh, but they could. They don't want to. I think they could. The market would go kind of crazy. But then I think inflation would take off again if they just completely stopped. That's their problem right there. Is they're really in a rock and a hard place. Uh, and based on the feedback, I think the correct feedback from Nancy earlier in the show, uh, a broad recession just hasn't really happened. Yeah. Well, that's it's like this is the moment to, I think, snatch that, quote unquote, soft landing. You know, maybe you have a little mild recession. And, you know, I think we're really, really on the teeter, though. Like, we're very close. I want to play this clip I got from CNBC this morning. This is what I got this morning when I woke up. I'll have it linked in the notes. I'll dig it up. It's the guy is kind of panicking in in this uh, in this clip, and he's talking to the panel on our Squawk Box show. <laughs> if you've ever watched, I, I don't love know if you ever watched. I love <laughs> it. Yeah. So this was on this was on Squawk Box, and uh, you know, of course, they're discussing the rate hikes and if the market's about to break. And the guy speaking, his name is uh, Barry Sterlicht. Uh, he's the uh, Starwood Capital chairman and CEO. Big big money guy. He watches the markets really closely. Inflation has peaked. The biggest increase in last month and has remained is the renter equivalent number in the data, which was 0.8 positive. In reality, that was 0.34 negative. The lag in the housing data is just completely distorting inflation. And since rents are falling, market rents are falling month to month, not year over year, month to month. They're going this way. You will see a negative number there and it will look like energy. It'll come all the way down. So inflation will come down. And, and people who talk about keep raising rates, I hear these guys on your morning show, I want to strangle them. Volcker didn't have a $32 trillion deficit. So here's the actual interest number. The federal government spent the following amount of money the last four years on interest expense. In 2019, $375 billion, then $345, then $352, and last year $475 billion. So here were the average interest rates those years. They were 0. Uh, 0.5 in 2020, 0. 0.1 in 2021. That's the average. These are LIBOR SOFA rates. In 22, they were 1.9%. This year, they'll be 45 5%. 5% so of 30 trillion. We'll be up to a trillion dollars. A trillion plus dollars. On interest. And on interest. And that's, that's, so the budget. That's why they can't keep going right there. So if they stop too soon, inflation shoots way back up. 
they don't take enough steam out of the employment uh, you know, situation because, of course, they're trying to get the employment market to cool down and bring wages down a bit. That's the Fed stated policy. I'm not making that up. And they want to kind of slow the demand on the supply chain a little bit. And if you just stop doing rate hikes altogether, you would cause a whipshaw and everybody would go all risk on and everything would start shooting up again. Consumption would resume. But they're up against this massive, massive wall of interest payments on the national debt. The interest payments a trillion dollars now. The interest. So that's a rock. That's a rock they're up against. So they can only go so far in that direction and hold it that far. So my expectation is a little baby bump, 25 basis points, which is going to feel like a baby bump at this point. And maybe even some signaling of slowing on the rate hikes. Maybe, maybe not. But I, I actually think it's going to be overall still very positive in some sense for the tech market, because I think this is going to signal to tech companies that they can slow down with the layoffs now. Your thoughts? Oh, I mean, yeah, they're they, they they're screwed. What are they going to do? I mean, they have to. I think if they don't if they don't do this right, if they don't do what I'm saying, then the layoffs continue, and we miss the soft landing, right? Don't you think? And then I don't think they care about the tech layoffs. It's it hasn't been it hasn't hit the broader economy at least not in a in a huge way. If anything, I'd say they're going to go harder than you were suggesting. But I actually think I actually think it is in the last few weeks. It's getting to them, starting to hit the broader. Yeah, I think it's I think it is starting to pick up because I'm seeing like non tech companies layoffs. You know, I'm seeing just that kind of stuff in my anecdotal, you know, notes that I get and whatnot. So I don't know. Yeah, it, well, you know, the funny thing is, by the time people hear this, they're going to know. Well, I, I like how the funny thing is that we we don't agree on how much, but we both agree there's no way in hell they're stopping. So yeah. Yeah, not not yeah, they just can't right now, but they've got to they've got to play it real smart. It is a very tough situation. If only we could have avoided it. If only there was a way. Hmm. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Noob Steve came in with 156,000 sats. Wow. I hoard that which your kind comes. He says I fell behind but happy 500 and happy new year and everything else. Also, Mike I personally feel like incompetence is the rule of the day with literally almost anything. But you know what's not incompetent? Jar Jar. Let's get some. That's all right. Misa love it. I cannot believe he's encouraging you. You guys, you guys know better than that. Deleted came in with 50,000 sats. Keep the change, you filthy animal. No recession in the sats. I'm just, Jesus. I love it. Everyone wants to celebrate 500, but why not celebrate every episode? Happy 503. That's why it was actually 50,300 sats. Perfect boost. Uh, we also got uh, immunologist came in with a little handful of sats saying uh, late to the party, but happy 500. Violet Lion came in with 50,000 sats. Oh, that was Nancy letting us know about their email. Yep. Magnolia Mayhem came in with 10,800 sats. This lawsuit situation annoys the hell out of me. I just listened to an episode of a show where they interviewed one of the uh, stable diffusion lawsuit plaintiffs, and she came across as completely clueless about the technology, how it works, or even what stable diffusion is. That's there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> oh man, oh, it's going to be a slog, isn't it? It's going to be a while until the sophisticated lawsuits come around, I suppose. Yeah, these are the these are uh, I won't say ambulance chasers, but if there was a vehicle that was white with red lights, possibly blue lights, depending on your municipality, yeah. 
you'll know the big you'll know the big guns come in when when we hear a big a tech name or a big company name or a big rights holder name and yeah 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 Prescient with 5,555 sats says, happy birthday to Chris. Oh, thank you. Oh, And congrats birthday. on 500 episodes. Yeah, last week. Uh, long time listener, first time booster. I'll be the first in line for a new robe since I missed out last time. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you're good. Yeah, you know, I don't ever really mention the birthday, but every now and then a couple of listeners, they I think they figure out it's around the end of January and they, uh, they send in a note. It's, it's always nice. Uh, Forward Humor comes in with also 5,555 sats. I really enjoyed Chris's comment about finding a way to get out of our default problem-solving mode and into creative mode on a regular basis to find enjoyment and fulfillment. I find visual diagramming during documentation can help a lot for this need. But totally a good non-IT home project helps a lot, too. Nothing like breaking down an old wall or standing up a new one or making an old room look nice again or wiring something up and not starting a fire. Always a win. <laughs> Thanks for the great show. Yeah, get the little wins in when you can. And I think that the, the, the shortcut in your mind there is something you could do in a day that you could see the results of, depending on where you're at. If you're in a little bit better place, you could take on a longer project. But if you're having a really shitty time, find a small project that you can get a W in in like half the day. And it has to be something you can see the results of. You can look at it and go, look at that. I effing did it. Uh, Alex, or Alwyn, I should say, from Conchax comes in. Uh, they have the uh, dashboard that analyzes Boost that's written in WebAssembly. And I wanted a little more details, and they're delivering for 2,000 sets, they say. We write all the demanding work of aggregating the data and processing the raw invoices in Rust. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. And I, clap, I didn't see that. Clap your claws together. Go ahead. Yep. And then they compile that to WebAssembly. The UI is all done in TypeScript, which uses Wasm as the library to process and retrieve the data. W was that the internationale you just played? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the... that's <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Everybody knows that's the universal Rust. Uh, oh. Know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, an intern made that determination, and now we just have to go with it, because it's lore. Yeah, you see? That's I the Rust it. introduction. <laughs> probably bad that i got it in two notes but hey whatever yeah, we'll yeah. keep moving the golden dragon came in it's been a little bit with some baby sats some baby duck sats he says with the current massive state of layoffs i too wonder if i should even begin pursuing tech just as in the aircraft industry there are ebbs and flows and i don't want to get too caught up in the tide p.s i got my coder fix just in before my headset died great show as always i wonder you know, because Marco wrote in on an email saying that uh, he's in Europe and that the energy sector is still hiring like crazy. Do we advise staying out of tech, though? No, 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 no. This, this, uh, these layoffs are basically the big, big companies uh, that are VC funded, more or less, right? You, your regular boring companies are all going to be hiring tech people. They all still are. And it's maybe just not as sexy as the, you know, insert hot startup in your area if there is one. Yeah, in fact. You know, give it a little bit of time. The small businesses that survive, depending on how deep this goes, uh, may be in a much stronger hiring position and have a much stronger market position if the big tech companies knock off some of these side projects and leave room for the little guys. Could be a positive development. Uh, our last boost from user 6275. I think they got to go set their username. Earned 400 sats and they sent them in. So I wanted to read this. They say, thank you, Mike and Chris, for all the hard work. I just started using Fountain. Congrats on episode 500. Looking forward to 550. Yeah. Maybe maybe 550 will be in Florida. One of these winters, come down there and do a Florida episode, I say. We should have uh, two guest stars, a gator and a giant, what, not cobra, what are they, uh, pythons. 
I assume they'd just be there by default. They, they're kind of just in my yard, just hanging out. Like little dogs and cats must just get eaten down there. Quite a lot, yeah. Oof. I mean, we got coyotes here, but I don't know. They don't seem quite as scary. Uh, members, thank you for your support out there. You are investing in the ongoing production, making this possible. We really appreciate you at that sustaining level. You can go to coderqa.co to become a member or jupiter.party if you want to support all the shows, get everything ad-free. We will have a member discount for that robe here shortly. And uh, we got to get serious about the coderly. I have been blindingly busy. We do have to do it, yep. Uh, like, I'm coming in these days at the studio six-ish in the morning, and I'm leaving 6, 7 p.m., and I'm not even stopping for lunch. You know, I'm just, like, grabbing something in the kitchen and going. It has been just breakneck, but I'm hoping that's easing up. We'll see. I always hope that. But that breakneck pace wouldn't be happening without those members and those boosters and, of course, everybody taking advantage of our advertisers. So thank you. You are a great audience out there, and we always appreciate you sharing the show around, too. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send the people before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, check out Dumanuko on Mastodon.social and go ahead and check out Gamer Radio. It's lots of fun. We have a fun Discord. Check it out. Gamer Radio. I'm, you know what I like to say these days is you can search in your podcast app of choice or if you're looking for a decentralized podcast search that isn't tied to Apple or Spotify, you can always go search stuff up in the podcast index. It's over there. And uh, you can subscribe in any app you like. And... Uh, of course, you can find it on the web, too. As for us, Coder.show is our home, and the rest of the network shows are over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Our contact page is over there, our RSS feed, all those goodies, plus links to what we talked about today. Those are over at Coder.show slash 503. And that brings us to the end. So thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coder Radio program, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>